Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. A lot to talk about this week. Uh, Kyler Murray making headlines, his agent oddly sending out a very detailed and long-winded response in terms of uh, Kyler Murray getting a contract extension from the Cardinals. Whether he deserves that or not is what we're going to talk about. Uh, Baseball is officially delayed the start of the season. We mentioned it last week how uh, there was a chance that the season would be delayed. Well, Monday was the deadline. Monday after that, that was the deadline to get a deal done. Obviously, the sides were very far apart and it was practically a 0% chance that anything was going to happen. I don't even think they made any headway uh, in terms of coming to a deal. They're probably still miles apart. I'm going to rag on Rob Manfred. I'm going to rag on the MLB uh, because it's it's really bad. Jeter, Derek Jeter leaving the Marlins as their CEO. A bit of a surprise move. A lot of people within the organization were surprised. Outside of the organization were surprised. We'll talk a little bit about the Euphoria finale at the end of the show. I did write a blog on that already. If you want to go check it out, it's on my Twitter at underscore John Grimaldi. It's on the podcast Twitter at Point of View Pod. And it is also on my WordPress, johnlgrimaldi.wordpress.com. So you can go and read it there. I gave out most of my thoughts in that blog. I'll talk a little bit more about it uh, at the end of the show, but it's not going to be a whole long-winded thing. But if you want to know a little bit more and stuff maybe I might not cover in the in this episode. You can go read that quick. We're also going to talk about James Harden, Embiid, the Sixers. Are they the real deal? How likely are they to come out of the East? The Knicks are pretty much shot and dead in the water. The Lakers are having troubles. They were getting booed off the court last or a couple nights ago, I should say, against the Pelicans. So not a good look for them. Obviously, I don't think it was right that they were booing LeBron. The guy still put up. Yeah, he did have, we tied a season high in uh, turnovers with seven. And there were definitely some uncharacteristic LeBron passes that game. But then you got DeAndre Jordan trying to make like a pass from half court into the corner and he sails it over. I think it was uh, Wayne Ellington's head. He was in the corner and DeAndre Jordan just sails it like 20 feet over his head. It wasn't even close. So when you have things like that happening, it's like, all right, can you really blame LeBron's seven turnovers when guys like DeAndre Jordan are making passes or pass attempts like that one? It's, it's ridiculous, man. LeBron's putting up 29, 6, and 7 at 36 years old, 37 years old. I, what the hell are we doing here? You can't be booing him. It's not his fault. He's trying. He's going against his plan completely, too. Like. He gets Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis never plays. So he's trying to like not go so hard on his body. Meanwhile, they're pretty much asking him to score 30 points every single night to even be competitive. He scored 32 points and they lost by 25. It was horrible. Everyone was turning the ball over. I think the Lakers had 15 turnovers in the first half. The first half. Brutal. It was a brutal loss. Knicks aren't much better. They got blown out by Philly. They play them again. By the time we're listening to this, it's going to be Wednesday. So they play them Wednesday night again after playing them on Sunday and getting blown out in the Garden. And now they're playing in Philadelphia. The Knicks are 11 games below 500. Like, they're shot. I think, I think it's, it's over for them. They are four and a half games back of a playoff spot. Um, which would be with Charlotte and Atlanta. Not good. I mean, like that four and a half might as well be 14 and a half. Honestly, that's what it feels like because they just have no spark. RJ almost put up 50 points against the Miami Heat. 50. He put up like 47 points. By far his career high. The Knicks lost by like 15. How does that happen? I mean, I know how it happens, right? No one else on your team is making anything. R.J. Barrett was literally the only one able to score the basketball. He was popping off. By far his best offensive game as a pro. And the Knicks lost by like 15 points. 
Demor- that, that kind of loss is demoralizing. Tom Thibodeau refuses to play Cam Reddish any more than like 10 minutes a game, even though Cam Reddish is good. I think it was that game against the Heat as well, where he put in good, solid minutes. He had a couple really nice steals. He had a nice couple layups, jump shot. Like, he scored a few points pretty quickly. He is good, man. He needs playing time. And for whatever reason, he has the potential to be a very good two-way player. And obviously with Thibodeau, you need to be able to play defense if you want to get minutes. Cam Reddish can play defense. He's a very, very, very good one-on-one defender. And his great size and length gives him uh, a very unique ability to be able to jump lanes much better than other people. It's kind of like Mikhail Bridges, honestly. Except uh, Cam Reddish is a better scorer than Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges is a better defender. But Reddish has that capability, that kind of two-way capability. And we've seen the jump that Mikhail Bridges has made over the past couple years. He has gone from strictly a guy who was known for playing defense to a guy who is an elite defender. He can hit down a corner three. You can let him rip off 15 shots a game, and he'll give you 20, 25 points. He gets to the free throw line. He's got a very nice touch around the basket. I've seen him get hacked a bunch and somehow still able to get the ball off and get an end one. He has a good pull up in between game. He can get to the basket, draw fouls. He has an excellent corner three jump shot. He has evolved into a very good offensive player. I I think it's safe to say he's probably the third option on that team. Booker, Chris Paul, Bridges, Ayton, in terms of offensive scoring. Sometimes, of course, DeAndre Ayton pops off offensively, and they start feeding him with the pick and roll and the pick and pops and all that. Yes. But Mikael Bridges, I, w- I would think, like, when the second unit comes out and, and Booker and Paul, they're not usually off this court at the same time, but Bridges can lead a unit as the number one op- option. For an extended period of time, of course. He's evolved into that much of like an offensive player. Cam Reddish can be that. Cam Reddish can reach those heights. And in my opinion, he can exceed Mikhail Bridges as a player. But he just needs playing time, man. He's not going to be able to do shit on 10 minutes a game. But Tibbs, for whatever reason, I don't know what he has against him. I don't know what kind of effort or production that Cam Reddish is doing in practice. Maybe that is annoying him, but like they don't even practice that much. You practice like once a week, maybe, at this point in the season. It's also time at this point to, as long as acknowledging uh, the people who are dead in the water, or the, the teams that are dead in the water, it's also pretenders and contenders time. So in the East, Miami has the number one seed. They're 41 and 21. Chicago. And Philly are two and three. They're separated by just a game. Cleveland is the biggest surprise, I think, in the NBA this year. Uh, they are the four seed and just four and a half games back of Miami. Milwaukee's also four and a half back. And Boston rounds out the top six. They are five and a half games back of Miami. The play-in tournament right now, it would be Toronto versus Atlanta and Brooklyn versus Charlotte. So Toronto, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Atlanta, 7-10. to 10. And the outside looking in, the teams with the only real chances to make it into the playing tournament as of right now are Washington and New York. But as I just said, I think the Knicks are, are kind of dead here. They're 11 games down, four and a half games back of Atlanta and Charlotte. And, and just watching them play, they just play, they play uninspired basketball. Like just... Really flat, no, they have no spark plug on their team to like come in and inject a jolt of offense, of defense, of literally anything. Um, not, no one that they can lean on to, to inspire them like that. It was Derrick Rose. Uh, and if you go back to last year, Derrick Rose, them trading for him at the deadline, he was having a great year and he continued to have a good year with the Knicks, and he is the one that I'm saying now came in off the bench, 
gave a jolt of offense and inspired life into the Knicks for a while. And he was supposed to be coming back, and then he had another surgery or something. So now there's, again, no timetable. He's probably done for the year. The Kemba Walker experiment has been a complete and utter disaster and a failure. He's shut down for the remainder of the year, and he's going to work on his game and everything, getting healthy, going into next year. That's a failure. I don't care if he averages 20 points next year. It's a failure. Like, he can barely produce any offense as it is. His defense is quite literally non-existent. He can't guard, he can't guard me in like a rec game. He can't. He has just, just the defense, man. It's just, oh my God, it's so bad. It's literally so bad. I can't even form words. So he's done. Cam Reddish isn't getting any playing time for some reason. The Knicks have no point guard. Emmanuel quickly has taken a nosedive this year. Uh, It just does not giving the same energy and the same performance that he was last year. Julius Randle, of course, a huge disappointment. He's coming off an all-NBA year. Um, All-star appearance, most improved player, like, you name it. Randle had high hopes coming into this year. And aside from his horrendous shooting, inconsistencies um he just the body language is really bad just sulking all the time on the court any good game that he has had I'm pretty sure has been a road game Julius Randle has not been the performer at MSG for whatever reason And the body language is pitiful. It's like he's whining, he's bitching and moaning, he gets angry at the crowd, he's getting just, he's completely dejected from the game when he isn't playing well. And he has not been playing well for a majority of the season. When he's playing well and he's getting his 25 points, 12 rebounds, you know, he's shooting over 50, 55% from the field. He's hitting three-pointers. He's playing good defense. He's running in transition. Then everything's all hunky-dory. It's the same Julius Randle we saw last year. But things have not been going as well as they were last year as a team and individually for Randle. And you could see it on his face. It's, he's covering himself in it. Just a really like pissed-off attitude that he's been playing with. And it's affecting the team, not just him. RJ, RJ Barrett is the lone bright spot. The guy continues to improve year in and year out. He plays great defense and oftentimes throughout this year has been their only bright spot offensively. Has he underperformed sometimes? Yes. Every player has bad games. There's sometimes like a week ago, whatever it was, might've been a couple weeks ago, he scored 25 points on 27 shots. Like, that's not good, obviously. Um, So sometimes his efficiencies dip. Sometimes he catches fire. But he's been pretty consistent, all things considered. He has been the bright spot of this Knicks team. And that's good because he is supposed to be the centerpiece of this team moving forward. Now, I think him and Cam Reddish can be the centerpieces of this team moving forward. But Cam Reddish needs to get to play. Contenders and pretenders. Miami's a contender. Chicago, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how far they can get on DeMar DeRozan because he has been unbelievable this year. Probably going to finish a top three, top easily just outside the top three if he's not in the top three because you have Embiid, you have Giannis. I know people were high on Steph Curry also in the MVP race. So DeMar DeRozan might get snuffed out of top three. But he's certainly in the conversation. He has to be. He had uh, the longest streak of 30-plus point games. It was like eight. Jordan, I think, had the most. Um, or maybe he passed Jordan. He, it was a crazy like eight- or nine-game streak of him scoring 30-plus points. It was insane. So I like Chicago offensively. Obviously, they are uh, powerful. Just defensively, I want to make sure. I don't know how that's going to translate. Um, into the playoffs. 
I like DeMar, for what it's worth, I like DeMar DeRozan's offensive game heading into the playoffs because you have to be able to shoot that mid-range jumper. It's not all just hucking up as many three-pointers as you can uh, and then you're going to win the game. In the playoffs, everything slows down. Things are much more meticulous. There's a lot more pick and roll. There's a lot more center play. And the fact that DeMar DeRozan thrives in that in-between pull-up mid-range game, that helps a lot. So I like his game translating into the playoffs. Um, I'm on the borderline if Chicago is a pretender or contender. I'll get back to you in like a couple weeks. Philly is a contender now that they have James Harden. The only two games they've played in, it's been against the Timberwolves, who are pretty good, and the Knicks, who are not so good. So Harden having a double-double and then a triple-double, give it, give it some time. But they are definitely contenders. Uh, obviously, we know Doc Rivers has a history of blowing big leads with his teams. Embiid has a history of getting injured. He's, that is still something that people have to remember. Anything can happen, but he has done a good job of staying healthy. Um, over the past couple years, and as long as he's healthy for the playoffs, then that doesn't matter. James Harden, uh, same thing last year. That hamstring tweaked up on him, so he's got to stay healthy. But considering, or I should say, uh, assuming Harden and Embiid are healthy, they are definitely contenders, and they're probably the favorites to come out of the East. The Cavs, pretenders, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to make some noise. They might even win a series, but I don't think they're ready, even close, to win a title. Milwaukee, of course, we know they can have, they have the capability of uh, winning it all. Boston, they've actually been on a tear lately, but uh, I'm not sold. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sold on Boston. I'm not sure if I ever will be, given how they are currently constructed. But they have been playing really good basketball lately. Toronto, no. Brooklyn, once they all get healthy, in theory, yes, they should easily be title contenders with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons. The mask mandate is loosening up a bit in New York, but there are reports that the NBA still won't let Kyler, uh, <laughs> Kyler, Kyrie Irving play in Brooklyn, um, even though it's total BS that he hasn't been able to play from the very beginning, but visiting players can come in who are unvaccinated and play in New York for, for the Knicks and for the Nets. But Kyrie Irving, because he is a player for the Nets, isn't allowed to. Never really made any sense to me. Um, but when all that is over, ideally, by the time the playoffs start, he's going to be free to play in every arena. So with that out of the way, Simmons will be back. And KD is slotted to make a return pretty soon. Uh, because the Nets stink right now. I mean, they're winning a couple games. They've had a couple nice wins, but they were sliding. Uh, they lost nine straight at one point. They're 32 and 30. They're the eighth seed. Obviously, they don't want to have to play in the tur play in tournament, but at right at this current juncture, they're going to be. And uh, they are. I mean, they're pretty far back. They're they're nine games back of Miami, and four and a half back of. Boston. So it's not like they're only a game, game and a half back of Boston. They're four and a half games back. They gotta they gotta get the ball uh rolling pretty soon. Otherwise they're gonna lock themselves into doing this playing tournament, which I'm sure Kevin Durant isn't gonna be happy about doing. Or Ben Simmons. <laughs> or anyone. Then you have Charlotte, Atlanta, Washington, New York. Obviously, none of those guys are going to be winning anytime soon. But I mean, Atlanta shocked a lot of people last year, so who knows? Um, so that's for the East. For the West, obviously you have Phoenix, best record in basketball. They are very much a contender. They made the finals last year. I like them a lot. Chris Paul coming back sooner rather than later would help them a ton, but they don't need Chris Paul to maintain the number one seed in the NBA. I truly mean that. They need him to win the championship. And by the time he comes back, he will be ready. He'll be healthy for the playoffs. But they don't need him to lock up that number one spot. I think the crew that they have now can easily get that done. Golden State, title contenders. Memphis, not title contenders. But they could win a playoff series, maybe even two. I just don't think they're good enough to win a title. Utah, no. They're pretenders every year. Dallas, no. 
Denver, no. Minnesota, no. Clippers, no. Lakers, no. Pelicans, no. And then you have Portland, San Antonio, and Sacramento on the outside. Obviously, none of those guys are going to win championships either. Um, Utah is, I, I always think, the pretenders. Dallas could win a playoff series. Same thing with Denver. Um, I don't think Minnesota, the Clippers, the Lakers, or New Orleans are in any position right now to win a playoff series. If Anthony Davis comes back, obviously that changes a lot for the Lakers, but you can never count on him being healthy for long periods of time. So he's a huge question mark. And for that reason, I'm saying the Lakers probably get bounced in round one again. They might, I mean, hell, they might not even make the, make it out of the playing tournament (laughs) because Minnesota Clippers and New Orleans at this point in time, I think all three of those teams are capable of beating the Lakers and kicking them out of the playing tournament. Again, Anthony Davis comes back, then I'm much higher on the Lakers than those other three teams. But right now, with no Anthony Davis, Lakers don't have a shot. All right, baseball news. Uh, Number one, Derek Jeter stepping down as the CEO of Miami. Weird. And it's weird not because of like the action itself, but because of the timing. Obviously, uh, the MLB and the MLBPA are in a heated negotiation for the collective bargaining agreement. Jeff Passan, this is all happening like yesterday and now. There will be no deal for a new collective bargaining agreement. Whatever. MLB's best and final offer. This was 17 minutes ago. I'm recording on Tuesday, just so you know. So if you go looking at his Twitter and you can't find it, that's why. MLB's best and final offer. No changes to CBT thresholds. Uh, 220, 220, 220, 224, 230. A 5 million increase on pre-arbitration bonus pool from 25 million to 30 million. An increase of minimums from 675K to 700K, moving up 10K per year. The MLBPA's previous offer was thresholds at 238, 244, 250, 256, and 263. So substantially higher. You know, 18, it's 238 to 220, 244 to 220, 250 to 220, 256 to 224, and 263 to 230. That's PA to the MLB. And then their pre-arb bonus pool was $85 million with $5 million annual increase, whereas the... The MLB was 25 to 30 million pool, 5 million increase. So they're, they're good on the increase per year, but the actual pool is way off. Um, and the minimums start at 725K instead of 675K and move up 20K a year as opposed to 10K a year. Now, all this is just part of negotiation, but the fact that Rob Manfred is like, he legitimately might be the worst commissioner ever. Like in the ML, not in the MLB. There was one guy who, you know, the MLB goes back to you know, one commissioner didn't even want to allow black people to play. So he's probably the worst. But Rob Manfred, in terms of modern day commissioners, especially now out of the major four, he's probably the worst. I mean, I, I can't, I know NHL fans have problems with uh, Bettman, but. This is tough. Like, he is actively, him and the MLB and the owners are actively sabotaging this game. They do not treat the players like partners. They treat them like employees, and they're not willing to give the employees what they want, even though it's the employees that drive the game forward. Baseball is on the verge of becoming irrelevant. Again, now, now 94 happens, they cancel the World Series, and it takes, it, it's three, it's four or five years later that baseball finally comes back to the forefront of everyone's minds because Sosa and McGuire and then later Bonds all start this huge uh, chase for Roger Maris and his home run record, and Bonds breaks that after McGuire breaks it, and then Bonds breaks the all-time home run record. Baseball was finally exciting again, right? The Yankees had their dynasty that kickstarted in the late 90s. Baseball was exciting. And now, that, that was four years after the fact, four or five years after the, uh, the World Series was canceled. 
So the fact that now baseball is officially missing games, they're officially going to start canceling games. Opening day will no longer be the date that it was. I believe Manfred said that up to a week or MLB spokesperson, not even Manfred, said that the first week of games will probably be canceled or now they are officially March 1st or uh, February 28th, I should say, was the deadline. So now here we are, March 1st, canceled. The MLB will not have a 162-game season. Also, the MLB tried to float out to the MLBPA to allow like 15 teams into the playoffs. I see a tweet from Howie Rose, uh, Mets radio play-by-play guy. There's a reason baseball plays 162 games. It's not to put nearly half of the 30 teams in the playoffs. Correct. Baseball is a marathon. It was always intended to be that way. So the game brings out the best of the best. We have seen so many teams get off to a hot start and then crumble in the last half of the year. We have seen seen teams get off to horrendous starts and then be the best team in baseball for the second half of the year. The Washington Nationals, perfect example. They were when they won the World Series, they were Horrible in the first half of the season. They ended up being one of the best, probably the best second half team in all of baseball. They were red hot going into the playoffs and they won the World Series because of it. That is why baseball has 162 games. So anyone saying baseball is too long, yada yada, it's just because they don't like baseball. They're not an actual fan if they actually think that baseball should be a shortened season. There is a reason why the games are 162, okay? And sometimes, at the end of that 162 games, you still don't know who the best team is. It's a long season for a reason, and you you just can't, you can't do it. Like, now, it's officially not going to be 162 games. Who knows? How many games the season's going to be? I was talking last week on this podcast. If they have to have at least 100 games, like 100 games is still kind of respectable, but six, you losing 62 games, that's a lot. And I don't think anything less than 100 games, the MLB really is going to have trouble recovering. Because that'll be the second time in three years that you're going to have a shortened season. And again, I said it last week, I'm saying it now. We saw what happened with the COVID negotiations. It took so long for the MLB and the MLBPA to come to an agreement. It was foreshadowing for what is happening now. The owners and the MLB are very unreasonable. It is probably the most hostile league player association relationship in the major sports. And now the MLBPA, they're they're cracking down. Like they're they're trying to make a real difference for the players. The minor league system is broken. And I think that is really what they're trying to do. They're trying to let guys who deserve to be in the league be in the league cuz you have GMs and owners manipulating service time in order to keep players under control for like an entire extra year. That's a rule that has been abused for years. Uh, base salary should be higher. It's like time to, get, time to get with the times, you know? And the owners painting this picture how it's like these small market teams aren't making money is a bold-faced lie. Just because small market teams aren't spending money, they're not spending money because their owners don't want to spend money. The money is there. It's not like baseball. Owning a baseball team is a losing business. It's a very lucrative business. You're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year, billions in some cases. So to say that small market teams, like that's why all these problems exist because small market teams don't spend money because they don't have money because they're lo- It's a lie. And it's funny that these billionaires are trying to like paint that picture in as a way to argue against raising like this ridiculous luxury salary, luxury uh, tax threshold, as if that is supposed to, you know, 
help teams spend more money. Teams don't spend money because the owners don't want to spend money because they're cheap. That's all. This, this negotiation, this contract dispute uh, for the CBA is, it's on, the, I'm, I'm going to say it now, and I think it's pretty obvious to say now, they are on the verge of ruining baseball as it currently is. They need to figure it out because the longer this goes on, the more the sport suffers. And it already is the third most popular sport. Like, I I don't personally watch hockey that much. I'm not sure where the hockey viewership and the, the viewing that they get per game and for their Stanley Cup and stuff like that. I don't know where those numbers are. But it is obvious that the MLB and the NHL are third and fourth, whatever order you want to put them in, or whatever order they end up being in, they're behind football and basketball by a very large number. The NFL is like uh, a religion in this country now. It has blown up to that point. You know, I personally plan my Sundays usually around watching football. Occasionally, there will be a week where I can't watch every single game. But most of the time, I'm planning my week around Sunday football. The Super Bowl, of course, is an event that millions and millions and millions of people watch. Basketball, the NBA Finals, they have taken a nosedive in recent years in terms of viewership, but it is still undisputably the second most watched sport in this country. Baseball is going to uh, fall comfortably into last place if this negotiation continues to uh, be as hostile and horrible as it uh, is right now. And I definitely didn't finish my thoughts on the Jeter thing. It's weird because of this situation that he's resigning now. Uh, In his statement, he said that the vision that he signed up for four years ago is not what they have now, so it's the proper time to step away and let what they have going on uh, manifest in a different way. So that's me paraphrasing. But Jeter stepping down, I don't know what the Yankees have to do to try and get him back inside this organization because him being a part of any organization that's not the New York Yankees feels very weird to me. So whatever Hal Steinbrenner and Cashman have to do to get Jeter involved, do it. If Jeter says, hey, I want to be the GM of this team, fire Cashman. I literally don't care. Those are my thoughts. I'm sticking to them. Here's the last bit on the lockout, and then we'll get to Kyler Murray's uh, agent statement and his contract issues, I guess, if you want to call them that. So this is from Chandler Rome. He is the Astros beat writer at the Houston Chronicle. This is from his Twitter. A quote from a league spokesperson, and I'm just seeing this on Twitter because I think Lance McCullers retweeted it, popped up on my timeline. The MLB... PA has a decidedly different tone today and made proposals inconsistent with the prior discussions. We will be making our best offer before the 5 p.m. deadline for the MLBPA. That's a fair deal for players and clubs, a league spokesman said. I guess today technically was the deadline, March 1st. Yesterday was just like, if the deal isn't reached today, then that's going to be a problem. Lance McCullers retweets this guy. Uh, and says, it's mind-blowing these dudes legitimately caused these issues and continue to lie about it. They walk out on us in Dallas. They lock us out. Don't speak to us for six weeks. Take weeks at a time to respond to our proposals. Clearly don't care about the fans, baseball, or the game. It's exhausting. And I believe them. So for Jeff Passan, MLBPA players' leaders uh, agreed uh, unanimously unanimously not to accept MLB's final offer and there will be no deal on a new CBA agreement before the 5 p.m. deadline. Sources tell ESPN, MLB has threatened to cancel its March 31st opening day without a no deal. So it looks like there's going to be a cancellation on opening day. That's it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's pissing me off. Hopefully next week we have some type of, uh, they come a little closer together on an agreement, but I doubt it. It feels like they're miles apart. There's clearly hostility between the two groups. So there's no negotiating good faith going on at all, especially from the MLB side. So the MLBPA, I'm not really sure how much more they can do. Okay, so with Kyler Murray, I'm not going to read his agent's uh, press release because it's like 
five paragraphs long and a lot of words. Of course, in those a lot of words, we have in big bold letters, actions speak much louder than words in this volatile business. Meanwhile, he just wrote an entire thesis on why his client wants a new contract. Um, in the first couple lines, number one, he absolutely wants to be your long-term QB. Number two, he desperately wants to win the Super Bowl. It's weird. It's weird that an agent has this long-winded press release and he's like speaking for his his client and Kyler hasn't really said anything. Um, go ahead and give it a read for yourself. Scheffner tweeted it. It's It's wild. It's very, very strange. And for Kyler Murray to be in this position to demand, not demand, but I guess kind of demand, a new contract is like, he hasn't really done anything to earn it. It's his third, le- third year in the league. He had, this is his first year making the playoffs, and he had a horrendous playoff outing against the Rams. So I'm not really sure where in there you can look at him and be like, yeah, he deserves a lot of money. He deserves a hefty contract extension because in my eyes, he really doesn't. And I'm not really sure in whose eyes he would. He went 5, 10, and 1 in his rookie year. He went 8 and 8 in year two when they had really high hopes. And then he goes, he misses two games or three games, actually, this past year. There's 17 games. He missed three of them. So in the 14 games he played, he was nine and five. Um, he has had essentially the same yards. He has not broken 4,000 yards in these three years. He had 3,700, 3,900, 3,700 again, 30, closer to 3,800. Um, in year two, if you want to round up, he had 4,000 yards, but 3,971. 20 touchdowns, 26 touchdowns, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 12 interceptions, 10 interceptions. Uh, his completion percentage has been, has been going up um, 64.4, 67.2, 69.2. So his completion percentage, that's an a encouraging sign. Um, he's been throwing for more yards a game. But all things considered, like when you give him the eye test, he hasn't drastically improved that much. Like Josh Allen has drastically improved from year one to this year. His third, this was his fourth year, but even last year he had like an astronomical jump compared to his first two years in the league. Kyler Murray hasn't had that. Will he have it in year four? He could. It's certainly possible. Um, but just giving the eye test to Kyler Murray right now, like he hasn't done anything to show you that he deserves all this money. Now, logistically, the Cardinals are probably going to have to pay him or they're going to have to come to some type of agreement because within the next one, two, three years, the Cardinals aren't going to be in a position to get a better quarterback than Kyler Murray. Do I think he's a top five quarterback? No. Does he have the potential? Sure. He's young. He's talented. He's gifted. But when you see him play, just based on the eye test, take stats out of it, he does things a lot that make you scratch your head. The one play that I cannot get out of my mind is in the playoffs against the Rams. He's getting tackled in his own end zone and flicks the ball forward. It gets picked off, pick six. And that essentially kills the game for the Cardinals. Like, they're shot after that. that that's it. You're like, Rams walking away with this. No brainer. So. Decisions like that in a playoff game. On top of that, you're getting these old quotes pulled about how he's not a huge film junkie and he kind of just goes out there and is naturally talented. That's not a good sign. Uh, he needs to hit the f- fucking lab some more if he really wants to be a top tier quarterback. He's got to hit the he got to hit the film. He's got to hit the books, um, and he's got to study more. Got to be a student of the game, as uh, the coaches like to say it. A student of the game. Doesn't really seem like Kyler Murray is that. So there are a lot of issues with, I think, his on-field performance. Um, Off-the-field performance, he's been acting kind of like a child. He did like that social media purge where he unfollowed everyone and then backed up and said he regretted doing that because it caused drama. Yeah, it did cause drama. You got to be aware of your actions. It's a social media age. People take notice of that shit, even if you might not care. 
If you just straight up deleted all your accounts, that sends a completely different message than unfollowing everyone on your accounts. Deleting your accounts, you just be like, yeah, I deleted them. I'm purging myself of social media. I don't want to be on it anymore. People have a lot more time believing that than if you unfollow people or specific, if you take the time to specifically unfollow people, then that is like sending a message to people who dig in and find stuff like that that you're doing. It's stupid. It's stupid, but it is something that maybe points to a maturity issue. I don't know. I might be stretching here a little bit. Uh, regardless, on-field play, it's odd that Kyler Murray is asking for an extension now. Should he get it? Sure. Will he get it? Most likely. The way they're going about it, him and his agent, is very bizarre, though. I'll say that. Because uh, when you pull up this statement, man, I can't get over how long this thing is. It's a whole-ass essay. It's not just like a one-paragraph press release from his agent. This is like a whole thing. Which many people, outside of me, many people in the industry have labeled as unusual. I mean, I was watching Get Up when this statement was released and Greeny Orlovsky, uh, I think Ninkovich was on the show at the time too. All of these guys were like, this is, like Greeny was like super intrigued. He seemed pretty flabbergasted over what he was reading and how this was going about. Um, he seemed like legitimately confused over this, uh, this approach and this tactic. So that should tell you a lot. Even they were like trying to put the pieces together on live TV, <laughs> trying to figure out why this is happening and what's going on. So it's just a weird situation and something to monitor. Uh, how the Cardinals, res I don't think the Cardinals responded, but either way, uh, situation to monitor for sure. To wrap up, uh, Euphoria, this final season felt a little weird. Uh, not final season, sorry. This, this season finale, it did feel like a, fi a final season though. Like the end episode, everything was kind of wrapped up. Um, there are some loose strings. You know, the glaring one that I think a lot of people noticed was the fact that Rue owes, I think her name was Lori, the drug lord woman, the ex-teacher turned drug lord. She still owes her like $8,000. So that's the one glaring plot line that was just completely dropped from the show after Rue went there and got, and she injected morphine into Rue to help her with the withdrawals that she was going through. That was the last time we seen or heard from her and it just disappeared. And then Rue goes on the narration at the end of the episode. Uh, she's like, I was able to stay clean through the rest of the school year. Like no mention of the money that she owes this woman. Uh, Ali was kind of lacking in this, this series because Rue kind of spited him. I, I always like him. He's like one of my favorite characters. I, I wanted to see more of him, but I get what they went, the direction they went in with the story. Everyone kind of gets wrapped up. Like, Nate sends his dad to jail. Uh, Cassie gets shit on by everyone because she did a scummy thing. Maddie gets out of the toxic relationship because of that. Kat suffered tremendously in this season. Uh, for whatever reason, whether the rumors of her beefing with Sam Levinson are true or not, her character had negative story in this season. Lexi has her play, which is really good. That encompasses like the last two episodes fez and ashtray of course the highlight of the season finale and highlight in this case doesn't necessarily mean good obviously so ash ends up killing that dude who was linked to um Faye, and he got busted by the feds he was wearing a wire he was recording stuff on his phone and ash stabbed him Fez tried to stop him. Ash stabbed him. Super tense moment. He didn't pick up on it. Of course, all of this happened before Lexi's play, and that is why Fez didn't make it. So that entire time that Lexi's, Lexi's play is going on, Ash is dead, and Fez is probably in jail. Um, a rule of thumb 
with TV shows and movies, especially a series of movies, of course. Don't believe a character is dead unless you see the body. Obviously, in things like Thor, where magic exists and is at play, Loki, you know, disguising his death a couple times. That's annoying, but it is, you know, consistent with the universe. But in most fictional stories, unless they show you a body, always leave at least a little wiggle room, even if it's like so obvious that he's probably dead because they saw the, you had like the laser sight moving up his body. And then we heard the shot and Fez was like in a look of being, he was just scared. He was really scared. Maybe they tranked him instead and then knocked him out instead of shooting him. But I doubt that because he's, you know, he shot an officer with a shotgun. He's dead. I mean, that, uh, Ashtray is is 99.9% dead. But like, you know, doctors can't agree that everything is 100% guaranteed. So they give you like 99.9% chance. Got to do it with this as well because we did not see a body. But all the signs point there that he he's dead. Um. Sorry if I'm giving anyone even a little hope and you don't want that. It's my bad. Fez was heartbreaking. Um, a great parallel that got pointed out. I saw it on Twitter. Fez, his grandma originally started this where she was bring. We had the flashback for Fez and his grandma was like bringing him around as a kid to all her dealings and whatnot. And they were like, oh, you're bringing a kid here. You're bringing a kid here. And she goes, that's not a kid. That's my business partner. And then when Fez took over and started doing the same stuff and Ashtray was with him, everyone would be like, oh, you got a kid with like when he went to Lori's house for the drug lord woman, when he went to go pick up from her, she goes, oh, you have a, a kid with you? Or one of the guys says that to him, maybe. And he goes, that's not a kid. That's my business partner. And then in this episode, when Ash locks himself in the bathroom for whatever reason, I, I can't really understand Ash's rationale obviously he wants to protect fez and he wants to make sure nothing happens to fez and he doesn't want fez to go down because fez was ready to take the fall for killing this dude and just let ash escape and live his life ash didn't want that kind of he kind of screwed both of them by them not get by him not getting away because now he's 99 percent dead and fez is going to go to jail so it's tough it was a lose-lose scenario um but the entire time this is happening and the feds are shooting into the bathroom trying to kill Ash, Fez is screaming, stop shooting, stop shooting. There's a kid in there. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. And he keeps repeating that over and over, which is obviously a different, a far cry from what he was saying in the beginning when everything was going smoothly. He's not a kid. He's my business partner. Now he's not his business partner. He's his kid brother. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. Super heartbreaking. Angus Cloud delivered his best acting of the entire show because up until this point, yeah, Fez is a super lovable character, but his personality is very much, you know, laid back, calm, doesn't really get too flustered, doesn't really raise his voice too much. Uh, obviously, he kicked the shit out of Nate Jacobs, and but he seemed very like calculated when he did that, right? Uh, he was pissed off. You could see it in his face when he was actually punching Nate. But everything, like, he wasn't screaming. He wasn't like a wild animal. He just systematically cracked the bottle over Nate's face and just punched him, knocked him straight cold. Uh, but this was different. This is the first, like, real range of emotion that we saw Angus Cloud display as an actor, as Fez. It was heartbreaking, but it was a really good piece of acting for sure if they never made another episode of this show again i honestly think it would be fine i know they got greenlit for a third season that season probably won't come for like another two or three years but if it ended in season two and that was the end of it it would be it would be fine because they wrapped up everything pretty nicely yes there's a couple of question marks that people don't have answers to, but they're not big enough to completely derail uh, this, the entire show, you know, where it's like, we're just going to be left with these answers for the rest of our lives and we're never going to 
be able to figure it out. Or we're not, we're going to be left with these questions and we're never going to get answers to them. They're like insignificant enough. The two loose ends, really just one loose end, which is Rue and the drug dealer. Um, that's really the only loose end. Everything else is kind of wrapped up. So if you just left it with that one loose end that got dropped the last two episodes of the season, people will be able to look past that and, and I think find comfort in that being the final episode. Now, of course, I'm all speaking hypothetically because as I said, it is greenlit for a third season, although it might not come for quite some time. So uh, I am glad to say that I have been on this euphoria train since day one. I watched episode one when it premiered on HBO. I have felt really good. Um, I knew it was a hit from the first episode. I knew it was going to be a, uh, a banger. And now season two, it really blew up in the off time because um, season one was great. And I remember some people liking it. And then from in between season one and now you had the two mini episodes and now season two, it's become like a super mainstream show that a lot of people are watching. A lot of people are tuning into at nine o'clock to watch on HBO. People are live tweeting it. Um, it is, I think HBO's most mainstream successful show probably since game of Thrones. I think that's pretty safe to say. Again, only two seasons. It's not going to nearly run for as long as H as uh, Game of Thrones did. Uh, it's not going to. I think don't think it's going to reach those kinds of levels of popularity. But it is a show that I know a lot of people now are tuning into week after week to watch, which is important for HBO and I think as a society. When everyone has something they're tuning into every week, it makes it that much more fun to watch. I think that'll wrap it up, though, for this episode of From My Point of View. We got some of my thoughts of Euphoria. Again, feel free to go read the blog that I wrote about it. It's on my Twitter, at underscore John Grimaldi, and my podcast Twitter, at Point of View Pod. Feel free to give me a follow if you're on Twitter. Um, and the blog is johnlgrimaldi.wordpress.com. So that'll do it from this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all for listening. As always, I appreciate you. Have a good week, have a good weekend, and I'll talk to you all next week. We're in March. Warm weather is coming. I can't get the smell of you off my sheets. I clean them every day, but it just won't leave. I stay awake, I'm so afraid to fall asleep. Cause I see your face every night in my dreams, which turn into a nightmare.